Back to the finish, I feel the spirit moving through the city. I got the light shining, come get it. Walking with Christ, moving where it's gritty. Walking with Christ, moving where it's gritty. I feel the spirit moving through the city. I see the people trying to bring them with me. We got a light, tell them come and get it. Yeah. Walk, 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 walk. I walk, 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 walk. Today on the Glory Gen podcast, I have the pleasure of interviewing my friend. Uh, and my sister in Christ, Diana Lee. Uh, Diana is a physical therapist and a daughter of the king. And she has an incredible story, an incredible testimony. And um, I'm really excited for the audience to hear how God um, really changed the trajectory of your life. Yes. Um, Kevin and Diana are husband and wife, and their story kind of ties in together in a beautiful way. So, hi, Diana. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited for uh, to talk about your story. I've heard it um, before, and it still wrecks me every single time. <laughs> so, mm, um, that is good. Tell uh, let, let, where does uh, where do you want to start? Um, where did it, where did it all begin? Because I know you grew up in a Catholic with a Catholic background. Yes. So I grew up knowing the Lord. I grew up Catholic. Yeah. I went to even private school up until senior year of high school. Yeah. And so that was my background. We went to church. My parents are amazing. They're very involved with the community, with the church and everything. And so they really built a good foundation of um, knowing God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's and awesome. I guess we'll go into my story, yeah. Yeah. So how did so you grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. and were you living for Christ at that? Would you or what, what did your lifestyle look like? No, I was not. I was very rebellious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was a completely different person. Even as a high schooler, I was up to trouble, getting into drugs and alcohol. At a very young age, I think it was, I was 15 or 16 when I got into drugs. Um, And so that was a spiral from there. I walked away. I wasn't walking with God at all. It was a very unhealthy relationship of when I wanted something or when I was in trouble, I would cry out to God. It wasn't intimate, though. I was was selfish. I would do what I want. Hmm. And I I was up to trouble. I would sneak out, go party go to raves yeah (laughs) was a rebellious child and and then going into college partying was very very heavy Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh empty (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. i lived a very worldly life as a young adult and even teen you know Mm. Sex before marriage, drinking drugs, just being out there wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then what did that lead to? So what that led to, I was actually working a lot at nightclubs. I was a dancer, and I did a lot of events like raves and everything. And See, I didn't even know that. I'm learning. Yeah, <laughs> I'm learning. I know. Gosh. <laughs> I'm learning more stuff about you. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't like to talk about that a lot because that's in the past, and I'm like, oh gosh, uh, nothing, nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, it, it's it's part of your Definitely. story and what and and part of the. I think I think hearing that stuff um, kind of makes the transformation uh, that much more that sweeter, much more sweet. Exactly. <laughs> totally, so, totally. So you were in the oh nightclub scene. I was okay. For many years, I was 18 when I started because I started partying so young and going to raves. I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to do that when I'm of age. And so when I turned 18, did my first EDC in Vegas <laughs> and worked at clubs and everything. And it was a really lucrative industry because I would yeah. show up for a couple hours and make way more than I could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, and it didn't, you know, I showed up, I danced and did what I love. That's actually how I got into physical therapy was I got into aerial sports air and dance. And I knew dance before I knew Jesus because I was still depressed, still empty. Yet when I did that, it was my escape. So dance was your escape. Yes. Yes. And at the moment I would be in my own little world in that moment in the air or whatever, but after that, I would go home and I would still feel empty and depressed. And in that season, I wasn't walking with the Lord. And at that time, the only thing that got me out of bed was going to practice, going into the studio. Um, so you said aerial dance. Yeah, What's I was that? an aerial. So I used to do Lyra, which is the aerial hoop. If you think about like Cirque du Soleil, stuff oh. in the air. Yeah, I used to um, perform. Wow. I used to teach. I used to compete. I was really into it. Wow. That's, yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would love to come back one day, have it at my clinic uh, in the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's a season right now yeah, to so be growing the business. So it was a temporary, it was a temporary um, band-aid for, for the ailment that, that you were feeling in your soul. Yes. Yes. It was a temporary ailment, and it was even a tool for me to feel like I was being seen and um, accepted because performing on stage, you're getting that intention. You're getting that acceptance. Yet it was still empty. <laughs> and that's actually how I got to spiral down because I got so into the nightlife industry, trying to grow in my dance career in that industry until it just God was like, no, like you're not paying attention and this is a downward spiral spiral. And he stopped it through a really traumatic event, actually. Do you mind sharing? Oh, I, I am an open book. <laughs> okay. okay. So there was a night, there's this gentleman, um, he he owns his own entertainment company. Mm-hmm. He had aerial performers, he did a lot of big events with that company, traveling the world. Yeah. And at that time, that was my dream. I wanted to grow in this career. Um, and so he invited me to an event. It was probably a rave or some type of DJ show. So we go out, we party, mm. and I get roofied. Oh, my God. Yeah. So 
when people get roofied, that doesn't end well. <laughs> yeah, you can fill in the blanks there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember spots of that night. I don't remember most of it. I remember, like, barely able to even walk and pick up my body and have control of where I was going. And the certain blotches of images that I remember are not good. Wow. That's so scary. Yeah. Yeah. It was very traumatic. Um, so I was assaulted. I was... Can I say the R word? Say it. I got raped. Wow. Which happens a lot. The more I open up about it, I hear a lot of girls that happens more times than we care to experience. Um, and so after that, I was in denial because I didn't want to accept it. And I put a lot of blame on myself. I was like, no, that was my choice. I went out and that happened and, you know, I was trying to cover it up. And so um, the denial even went to the point where, like, I hung out with him after and tried to say, no, like, this is a thing and try to cover it up that way. And there was a point where I had this aha moment of that was not consented and I had no control. So part of the denial process was you spending time with him to not feel the weight of what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was, I hung out with him like maybe one other time. And then after that, he tried to hang out more. And I was like, actually, no, I can't do this. I was just traumatized because I even, my body knew I washed my clothes and everything. And then I kind of smelled his cologne and I just couldn't do it. I was just so traumatized and I'm like, okay, something's not right. And so I suppressed it and then got back into dance, suppressing it. And at this time I actually was looking to men to fill that hole, that void to feel loved to feel seen, to feel accepted. And we all know that we have that hole in our heart that only one person could fill, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm dating. I find this new boyfriend and um, still living in the world, partying, sex before marriage, um, impurity, all of that stuff. And so... That was a really toxic relationship. Mm. He blamed me. Oh, let, let's backtrack. So yeah. after the rape, yeah, I was thinking, okay, I need to go get tested because I don't know if anything got passed on to me, like sexually transmitted diseases and everything. Went to the doctor shortly after, and I was clear. Praise God. But, none not, well, praise God. Always praise God. Yes. Yes. Because we'll circle all the way around how amazing, how amazing, amazing, amazing he used the situation for good. Um, so I took the test. The thing with sexually transmitted diseases 
is at least certain ones like herpes, HIV, you don't see it right away. So if you get it test, if you get tested too soon, you could get a false negative because it takes about three months for your body, a couple months. Don't quote me on the amount of months, but it takes some time for your body to build antibodies for it to get detected in your blood or the sample. Um, so I took it too soon. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now back to where we were. Yeah. Was dating this guy, super toxic relationship. And he, he was like, you gave me, you gave me herpes. And I was like, what? No, I didn't. I, so this is TMI, but I'm totally an open book. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what are you talking about? I took a test. You know what? I'm going to take the test again to prove you wrong. Mm. Take the test again. And this was at this point months later. And I haven't heard back from the doctor for a couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, I'm probably okay. I get a call. I remember I was in my room. I get that call. She goes, I'm so sorry. You did test positive for herpes, a sexually transmitted disease. And I was like, what? So I knew that it was from that rape because just the timing of it. Mm. Yeah. What was going through your mind when you got that news? That's when I fell into a deeper depression. I felt like trash. I felt so dirty. I felt the lowest I've ever felt. Like this heaviness of no one's ever going to want me. I felt unaccepted. I I literally felt like trash. That's the best description. And so... It just got worse and worse. This At that point, that was when I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and even Ariel, I would, because at that time I was prepping for a competition. I would show up and the only time I felt okay was when I was on that hoop. Did the competition. Um, we break up. Because I was like, I can't do this. This is really volatile right now. And we just got it in that relationship. Um, so I had that season of depression. And I still suppressed it. I didn't. Go to therapy, deal with it. No, not at this point. Um, and in, in this season, it clicked for me. I was like, oh my gosh. If I have this... What about something that is more dangerous, like HIV, where it could turn into AIDS? And I went, I went, I spiraled, just full of anxiety, full of worry. And at that point, I dropped down to my knees. And I remember praying, Lord, if you could save me from this, this one thing, I'm so scared. I promise you. I will give you my life. I made a deal with, <laughs> I made a deal with God. Yeah. And that's actually the vow that I, I go back to often to this day, how I live my life. Lord, I made a vow with you that I would give you my life, that you could do whatever you want in my life. And so I was like praying, Lord, God, 
And at this time, I'm Catholic, so I'm praying all the ways that I <laughs> know at the time. Yeah. And I go, God, please give me a sign that I'm okay. Let me know that I'm okay. And that night, this is my first radical encounter with God. Radical. Uh, that night, I fall asleep. And I wake up in the middle of the night, and I felt a gentle whisper over my body. And a voice saying, Diana, you're negative. You're fine. Wow. So I wake up. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. And given the next day, I already made an appointment with the doctor to specifically get the HIV test. And I call my brother, Daniel. I'm like, hey, can you please come with me? I'm really nervous. I just need some support on this here. And I'm driving to go pick him up that morning. I look out the window at the stoplight, and there's a roof full of gray pigeons. Hundreds. Hundreds. And I saw one white dove glowing, standing out out of all of them. And at that moment when I saw it, I knew that was a sign of God because I had this peace wash over me. Wow. And reassurance that I'm okay. That's how God speaks to me sometimes, too, through a dove. Yeah. Yeah. I'll me like too. A dove flying over my car. It's yeah. Wild. Since then. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Since then, that's how he speaks to me. I'll pray and then, hmm, interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> totally beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. I get so excited when I see devs. Yeah. Um, sidebars, my clinic right now. I pray, God, God, is this the right one for this season? Is, is this where you want me to be? Because uh, I have my own practice and when I was looking for spaces. So I was like, Lord, just tell me. Tell me this is the one if it is. Drive down the street. The cross street is Dove. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Couldn't get more yeah, clear than that. I know, I know. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah that's just one of the instances. So many, so many, so many uh, God situations. God will speak if, you, if, you, if we let him, if we listen. <laughs> yeah, you'll look at, seek and you'll find, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so I'm picking up my brother, and I was holding this cross that I had. I went traveling with my mom to Europe, and I, I bought one from Rome. I was holding on. I was praying. My brother comes into the car. He has this look on his face. I was like, what? What's going on? He goes, your car smells like anointing oil. Like from the Catholic Church, what they use to anoint you? Anointing oil is anointing oil, brother. <laughs> I know, but did you, did you know what anointing oil was back then? Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I, I just recently learned the smell of anointing oil, so. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what it smelled like at the time. Yeah. And I was like, are you sure? I had a cherry car freshener in there. Uh-huh. And I was like, you sure it doesn't smell like cherry in here? <laughs> he goes, yeah, it smells like anointing oil. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, your cross, he smelled it, smells like cherry. And your car smells like anointing oil. I trust him. I couldn't smell it myself. Yeah. At, at that point, I was like, I'm for sure good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So we take the test, negative, praise God for that. Wow. Um, that one's the one. It made the other one seem so small at that point because I was so worried about the HIV and it made the other sexual transmitted disease much, much smaller. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. 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 And so after that, live my life, 
still suppressing it. Then I meet Kevin. I felt like I was filling a void. I was I was looking to compete to just keep me distracted because I was working with another physical therapist at the time. And he's like, hey, do you want to do a bodybuilding show, a bikini show, NPC West Coast? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so I got distracted just focusing on that. And that's actually how I met my husband, Kevin. Best distraction ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a keeper. He's amazing. So I amazing. Kevin. I know. I love him too. Uh, yeah, I met him at the gym over at Equinox. I was like, oh, he's cute. Usually don't date Asian men. I was like, oh, he's really handsome for an Asian man. <laughs> and, uh, Kevin's <laughs> sidebar. <real quick. laughs> Kevin is a very handsome man, but actually what does Kevin's name mean? Oh, his, his name <laughs> means handsome. Kevin is handsome. So he's yeah. handsome all the way through he's and through. <laughs> Yes, uh, yeah, that he is. That's awesome. I love you, baby. <laughs> Shout out to my husband. Uh, yeah, so he he was um, working out, and at that day, that day he didn't have his headphones. Yeah, I was talking about the show, prepping it. I was working with another trainer, and he, he heard me talking, saying, "Oh, are you doing the show, the same bodybuilding show?" Yeah. Oh, cool. Maybe I'll see you there. That was it. Yeah. Uh, see, I see him repeatedly at the gym, given he works there, and we're both training there. Uh, so I see him again, and I was like, oh, we should practice posing one day, and totally ask for his number. And the rest was history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he, you're the one who asked him out. Yeah. That's how that happened. Yeah. And he fell in love when I when I packed him a meal prep meal. So so is it okay? So so ladies, it is okay <laughs> for you to ask a guy for his number. Yeah. We, we don't we don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> we won't be mad, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Good, good for you for just going for what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. I know what it was. <laughs> so you asked Kevin for his number, and then you the rest. You said the rest was history, but obviously yeah. you're gonna tell us a little bit more about that that history. Yeah, we have a long history. Gosh, we went to hell and back. I know. Yeah, yeah. The first the first part of our relationship, we were honeymoon stage, so of course it was great. Um, I realized that I had a lot of wounds to heal especially trust with men. Yeah. That was a really big, big uh, breakthrough for me. I had a difficult time trusting men, and I was actually diagnosed with PTSD. I started going to therapy when we weren't in a relationship because it just got, I made it toxic. I made it volatile because of the PTSD. If there were certain triggers, I would explode. What did that explosion look like? Lots of fights, lots of anger, lots of anxiety, lots of panic attacks, lots of depression, lots of screaming, lots of crying. It was really, really bad. Wow. Yeah. Like, it was so bad even even his friends at the time were like, why are you in this relationship? And he wasn't a Christian at this time. Kevin no. was Buddhist at this time. Correct. Kevin was Buddhist, and I haven't completely 
I was still lukewarm, haven't given my life to Christ yet. It was one of those prayers of God saved me and then still living a secular life, drinking sex before marriage. So, yes, Kevin and I, for the first three years, maybe two and a half, three years, we were living a worldly relationship. Mm-hmm. We're approaching seven years now and one year of marriage. So three years we were living in the world, three years we were living it God's way in purity. I can't wait for everyone to hear about Yeah, so that. we've been through yeah. it all. We know what it's like on both ends of the spectrum. And I will tell you now, it's better doing it God's way. Amen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was really toxic. I was more suicidal because in the process of going to therapy and working out all of my trauma, working out of working on all of my mental health issues, I was I had it all, anxiety, depression, ADHD, all of it. So it was just a combination for a perfect storm. Right. Uh, went to therapy, they started putting me on medication. So I got addicted. I've been addicted to Adderall Vyvanse for like 10 years. So I got a prescription during that season and abused it even more. And then they started giving me antidepressants. The antidepressants, the thing with that, it's a trial and error thing. It's not a one size fits all for each person. Yeah, I've been on antidepressants also. They're I'm just. I just recently got clean from all prescription medication within Praise the God. last like I'm on. six months or so, and those. So I'm. I'm happy to hear that you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah likewise. Praise yeah, God. Yeah. It's yeah. So good. Yeah. Spirit of pharmacia, right? Yep. I think. Yeah. <laughs> that addiction and your body, your body, physical body could depend on it as a physical addiction. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a trial and error thing. I went through two different medications, and the first one was the one that took me over the edge. It created more suicidal thoughts. The antidepressant medication created suicidal thoughts? I feel like that played a part. I was already heavily depressed and suicidal. I had suicidal ideation. Um, And then I noticed on this medication, I felt like a complete zombie. I felt empty like I was just literally a zombie just walking in this world very blank and um it got to a point I remember there was one night where I got triggered and we were in a huge fight I'm running to my car and I'm ready to crash it to crash your car yeah so it was I had the suicidal plan in action wow yeah, and at this time, Kevin and I were living together. Remember, this, at this point, we both haven't come to Christ. We were living together, and he runs out. The Holy Spirit told, totally told him, you got to make it back so you could be a good mom to Louie, which is my dog. <laughs> yes, the cutest Yorkie. Yeah, he's a Yorkie. Cutest Yorkie ever is Diana's son. He's <laughs> <laughs> our biffer baby. Yeah, and that spoke to me. I was like, okay. So so the Holy Spirit told Kevin to tell you that you have to make it back to take care of Louis. Yes. And that and that's what pulled you back in from taking moving forward with your plan. 
Yes, exactly. You take your life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still went out and drove for like an hour or two, but I made it back because that's what got me. I was like, he's right. I can't leave Louie alone. Um, But the whole time I was driving, I remember I was like, dang, I just want to crash this into a tree off a hill. It was severe spiritual attack looking back because – Looking back what I know now, I felt like it wasn't myself. I felt like something was taking over my mind. Something was taking over in my body and my spirit. It was spirit of suicide. Yes. Yeah. Spirit of death, spirit of suicide, spirit of rape, spirit of all of the above. Pharma, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of lots of spiritual attack, lots of demons there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so made it back crying mess. I go at this time I'm in my doctorate program. I go to school the next day, next day just crying. And I told my teacher, I can't sit in here. I had a really bad night and and she felt something was off. So she said, "Hey, go hang out with Dr. Tierney in her office. I don't feel like you're safe right now." Upon going into her office, I don't even remember this, but I probably told her that I had suicidal thoughts, um, what happened last night, and it was it was a huge blur. Uh, so she consulted other professors there, and I know Dr. Lesnick, she, she had a history in her family. She knew how to deal with it, um, with people having suicidal thoughts, and so they made the decision of Diana... Either we're going to call the ambulance and they're going to come here and pick you up. We will take you to the hospital or you can wait for Kevin to take you to the hospital. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I just want to go home and cuddle with my dog. Yeah. I'm very, very grateful, though. I, to this day, they have a special place in my heart because this was the pivotal moment of me turning to God Mm. and transforming my life and being completely delivered in an instant. Wow. Um, so I, they put, I get sent to the hospital, to the ER, and we're there all day. They, they end up putting a 5150 on me, which is, for those of you who don't know, that is a 72-hour hold, psychiatric hold. So they'll send you to the psych ward against your own will and you can't leave until after that's done and even in the process if they feel like you're not stable they they have they could hold you longer yeah by the time i got there um so we were supposed to go to the one in costa mesa that was full so it took extra time to um go to the one i think it was in duarte Mm -hmm. it was really late one, two in the morning. At that time, the rooms were full. The only ones that were available were in the sci- in the schizophrenic unit. Fun. <laughs> and I was terrified. Oh, God, yeah. I was sure. like, do I belong here? Am I crazy? Why am I here? Like, am I one of them? I had the spirit of doubt for myself. I remember people pacing up and down the hallway, screaming at 2, 3 in the morning. Jeez. I couldn't sleep that night. There were cockroaches in the bed. 
This is the one at Costa Mesa or Duarte? Duarte. Yeah, the Costa Mesa one was full. That, the Costa Mesa one looked a little bit better. The one in Duarte looked like something out of a movie. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So that so you go in there and it's kind of like a haunted yeah. psych ward. Oh, yeah. Especially that unit that I was in. I was there for that night and probably most of the day the next day. And I remember clinging onto one of the nurses, terrified. And he looked at me. He, he's, I remember, gosh, I just had a aha moment right now. So I remember him saying, you don't belong here, huh? And in my mind at the time, I was like, yeah, I want to go to the, the depression unit. But that's my aha moment right now. I was like, oh, my gosh, he's right. I didn't belong there. At all. At all. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Um, we I got transferred over to depressive depression unit, and it was a lot more comfortable there. <laughs> a lot, it was quiet. Yeah. Still not the ideal situation because – I remember my family visiting me thinking, what is going on? They had no idea that I was depressed, no idea I was suicidal. So you could only imagine that call that Kevin made to my family. Hey, Diana's in the hospital because of this. Right. So that was really tough. And I remember there was one night I went down to my knees Praying to God. Is this while you're there? While I'm in the psych ward. Mm. By my bed. Got on my knees. Just praying for help. And then the remainder of my stay, about a day, I felt this peace in the psych ward that I was going to be okay. I felt hope that I was going to be okay. I felt peace that I was going to be okay. Um, they ended up switching my medication in the psych ward. So I was on that medication for a little bit. And my girl, Chrissy, shout out to Chrissy. She's in Tennessee now. Um, she visited me in the hospital. She was one of the worship leaders at Viewpoint Church. No Church. way. Yeah, yeah. That's how you guys ended up. That's how I got connected to Viewpoint Church. So Viewpoint is the church that we go to in Newport Beach. Um. So she comes in glowing, so full of joy, full of the Lord, smiling. My dad goes, why are you so happy? How are you so happy? She goes, it's Jesus. She, she says that to your dad. She said that to my dad. Uh-huh. Comes visit me. I find so much comfort with her because she was full of the Lord and she goes, when you, when you get out of here, come to community group with me. Come to church with me. And I, that was a yes for me. Uh, the community group was Colton and Priscilla's. Wow. That's how we got connected. All the, all the, all the pieces are coming together. All the dots are being connected yeah, right now. Yeah, because we haven't even <sighs> talked about this with each other. Oh. You know the, the most traumatizing part. You don't know the details of I didn't know the details. how it all comes together. Yeah. So, so when, when Chris, Chrissy, yeah. when Chrissy shows up at the hospital, you, you were just ready to try something new. And yeah. you saw the joy 
that she had and you saw the peace that she had and you were like, I want that, right? Exactly. And that's what made it so easy for you to say yes to whatever she suggested, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And we connected too because she was actually at the aerial studio that I used to work at. And I remember sharing with her and she had so much compassion, so much empathy. We were we had a lot in common and I trusted her and seeing her in that way, I was like, what are you doing? Show me. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to just turn around because everything mm. that I'm doing isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So you you get out. Yeah. Get out. So so you never you, looked back. You get out. And I remember just, seeing <laughs> like walking out of the door. Yeah. Seeing in front of me, and the sky and the parking lot. I was like, wow, this parking lot looks amazing. So you were. <laughs> I so never looked back. You were. Ch- you were. Did you experience a, a change before you left the hospital? Yes, it was the last day. I felt that peace, and I remember we were doing like a group therapy thing Mm. and they were going through a series of questions and I answered I know I'm going to be okay I because I have God I have hope that was my answer in the group so I felt peace that last day it sounds like to me that you didn't even though you didn't physically say the words of like confessing your devotion to Jesus Christ, but in your heart Mm. you had already made a decision to do so. Yeah. Because how else would you have experienced that overflowing of of peace and and, and joy in an instant? Yeah. So like before your before your mind knew it, your heart knew that you had already surrendered Mm -hmm. because you were just like, I see what you have, Chrissy, Mm -hmm. and I want it. And you knew it was God. Mm-hmm. So you said yes. Mm-hmm. That's that blows my mind. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I never thought about it that way. You're right, man. Yeah, because it was just this radical, quick shift, and yeah. I couldn't explain it. It just happened. I went from being so terrified in there to having peace and hope, and excited for yeah. the next step. And anyone that's ever experienced depression, anyone that's ever experienced that level of depression Mm -hmm. knows that that doesn't that doesn't just happen you don't just (laughs) just go away yeah it's it's like so only jesus yep (laughs) yep yep i I even remember so we went to a community group at priscilla's house with colton and that whole group (laughs) it was right when i got out of the hospital i came in i was a wreck crying they knew i just left the hospital i was a mess i felt the love of god there and i was like whoa this is different what is this stuck around and they're a huge part of my transformation too because they poured into me they taught me how to live a true christian walk how to walk with the lord how to pray how to um just love on people. They loved on me like Jesus, like no other. Yeah. Uh, and I remember too going to my therapist after co- Bible study community group, and we're working on exercises. She asked me a question, and she noticed a huge shift in me as well. And she goes, "What happened? Like, this isn't the same person." Yeah. And I told her, "Oh, I started." going to Bible study and growing my 
relationship with God and faith, and I didn't need therapy anymore. <laughs> Jeez. <Yeah. laughs> Your therapist was like, dang it, Jesus lost me another client. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So wow. full of joy with the Lord, I even got off all of my prescription medication. I was like, I don't need this anymore. I'm good. Yeah. And, but I mean, even though you got off and you didn't need them anymore, there was still, was there still a process of like weaning off of those meds to where like your, yeah. your, your body? That's what I did. Okay. Yeah. I weaned off of, I weaned off of it. There was for the antidepressants. I weaned off of it. I would definitely talk to your doctor if you're considering this. Right. Don't do it my way. I actually did it without telling my doctor. I started cutting my pills in half and then in quarters. Did you experience withdrawal symptoms? No. No. I started having withdrawal symptoms more so with my Vyvanse addiction. Mm. And I knew that that was my last part of completely being with the Lord, that I was such a slave to it. Mm. It was holding me in bondage. Yeah. It was almost an idol to me. Like I just wanted, I was addicted to it. And I, what the Holy Spirit really convicted me of that, of, hey, you're a slave to this. Yeah. I grew even deeper in relationship with God. And that one, I actually did a cold turkey. Wow. In the beginning, I had withdrawals. And then when I just focused on the Lord, I didn't have withdrawal symptoms. Mm. Flushed into the toilet and I was fine. Yeah. Yeah, no so, withdrawals on that one the second time. So what happened after that? So you experience a radical deliverance, right? Mm -hmm. So your your life goes from being one way to instantly being going in a different direction. You experience the love, the peace, the presence of God, and then you start entering into community. And I think it's important to talk about this because a lot of people mm. highlight the, the the pivotal point where the thing where, where life changes, but they don't talk about the process and how, what does life look like after that? Because you're used to living life a certain way. You have a certain lifestyle, a worldly lifestyle, a sinful lifestyle, mm -hmm. and then you commit and you come into a relationship with Jesus and you experience him. And what is the process of maturing in your faith and, and to where you are now? What was that process like? Yeah, it was definitely a process. Yes. Continual refinement. Yeah. When I got out of the hospital, Kevin and I were still living together. Um, I remember God putting in my heart, really convicting me, hey, live in purity. Don't even live with him. The Holy, God, the Holy Spirit confirmed it because, so our church, we read a daily Bible. It's split every day, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs. So by the end of the year, we finish reading the Bible. On that specific day that I got convicted, I got to live in purity and move out in that situation. Yeah. Was the reading of Paul talking about was it Paul in Corinthians? I think yes. it was about living in purity. <laughs> yes, because I'm in Corinthians right now. And I think I just read that 
that chapter. Yeah. Yeah. What are the odds out of all readings in that Bible that that one day that was the reading? I remember before I read it, I told Priscilla, Priscilla, this is what I'm thinking. And all she said was, did you do the reading today? (laughs) Do the reading. I highlight it. And it was that process of reading the Bible, getting those downloads from the Holy Spirit that and just seeing it work. And then when I act in obedience, how sweet it is, how much blessings he brings. And I'm like, shoot, I want to do this more. I don't want to do this on my own. Yeah, because it's just so good. That was the beginning phase of it. Uh, being in community was really important. Being around wise people who are walking their talk. Yeah. Did you feel like pressure from the people that were discipling you in your community to Mm-mm. like you guys gotta move out right away? No. 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 It was really awesome priscilla was one of my biggest mentors at that time and she was so loving so gentle yeah and at that time i was curious so i would ask her questions and she would just gently lead me meet me where i'm at and gently lead me it was never harsh um and just going to service and hearing roger and becky aj at the time to speak huge revelations a lot of downloads and yeah, this, the Holy Spirit really ministered to me in community. That's awesome. I think it's important to, 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 to note that, you know, when people are coming into relationship with God, mm-hmm. just to, to love them, to encourage them to be obedient, but to love them. And it's a process of mm-hmm. sanctification. Um, and I think that, you know, had you been received with um, judgment, for certain things, I think it would have probably pushed you further away. Yeah. Or deterred you or yeah. kept Kevin from coming to Christ even. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up in a Catholic setting and looking back, my experience was, it was fear-based, judgment-based. Like if I do this, I'm going to hell or if I'm doing this, I'm going to heaven type thing. Yeah. That was my perception and that didn't work for me. So coming into a community where they're coming out of love, it was an acceptance no matter what. It was different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Talk about the difference in your relationship with Kevin pre-Christ and post-Christ. Oh, yeah. Gosh, it was a mess before Christ because I was dealing with all of my mental health issues. I would get triggered. And he actually has secondary PTSD. So there's triggers that could trigger him as well from so, so all the trauma. So for those who don't know what secondary PTSD, can you explain what that is? Yeah, so if someone has PTSD, um, let's see if I could explain this well. If someone has PTSD, let's say like myself, and I have certain triggers, it could cause trauma secondary for another person. Got it. So they're experiencing PTSD from your PTSD there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there it's, it's kind of like secondhand smoke. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not smoking, but I'm getting some second, of it. Yeah. Se- some of it from, you're yeah. getting some of the consequences and got it. Yeah. Um, so with the secondary PTSD, he had compassion fatigue too. We ended up breaking up because 
he lost himself in the process. And I was good at that time. Like I was just starting to be in community and I was safe because he was my protector. He would take care of me, make sure I'm okay. And then now getting out of the hospital, I was okay. He lost himself. We broke up. Mm. So we had a nice little break. During that time, he found God. And then I grew my relationship with the Lord. Um, so yeah, before it was just a mess because of everything and doing it our way it just didn't work Mm. it was toxic we would fight i take responsibility in that because of everything that i've shared um so there was one point when kevin had this question asked of when did you experience god yeah and it was when i was in the hospital because he when I was getting transferred from Costa Mesa to Duarte, he said, hey, call me when you get there. I, ha- I didn't call him. He's yeah. like, what the heck is going on? Is she okay? He's my protector, right? He's like, what's going on? So he goes down to his knees, praying, God, if you're real, show me. Mm. A couple minutes later, I call him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he... he, he um you, the audience is definitely going to hear about Kevin's side of the story. I think it's so cool that like to hear it from your perspective uh-huh. and then also to hear it from his, because I've, I've heard it, I've heard his perspective, but I haven't heard your side of the story. And it's just so cool to put those two together. pieces together. Um, but what would you say to like people that are in a relationship? Um, because you guys went from sleeping together, living together yeah. to not. Um, and what would you say to people that are, in that situation, right, and they and they feel like God is maybe limiting them what they can do. Like God doesn't want me to, mm. you know. What, what would you? Because you you went through it. You experienced yeah. both sides. Talk yeah. about your experience in that. Yeah, we're totally in the Holy Spirit right now because I was like, oh, we gotta talk about that. And you literally just asked me that question. Yeah, I felt that one. <laughs> really cool. Uh, so the transition. So you're asking for like a tip. Yeah, like maybe just your experience in that and and going from, you know, you guys were living together and sleeping together. That's 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 a certain level of intimacy that you're experiencing there. Mm -hmm. And then you're kind of maybe it feels like taking a step back by Mm. living in obedience to God. Oh, okay, I got you now. Thank you for repeating that. It actually created more intimacy in our relationship. Pause. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So yeah. taking, not sleeping together oh, and yeah. not living together created more intimacy. Yeah. Talk about it. Okay. So the reason why it created more intimacy is because you take the physical out. You get to know the person for who they truly are. You get to know their heart. You get to know their mind. You get to know their soul. And you get so rooted in building that foundation of the relationship of that person and who they truly are. And then the physical is just the cherry on top. Because when you have the physical, that distracts you from that person. Because let's say Kevin, or let's say I was dating another person and he wasn't right for me. Yeah. And I didn't, 
have sex with him. I wasn't physical with him. I wouldn't be that hurt if it didn't work out. Right. Because I would identify this person is not right for me. Yeah, you found out. Yeah, you create that bond and like, okay, this is not a great match. But when you sleep with them, hypothetic, this person that I'm not meant to be with, when you sleep with them, you create that soul tie and then red flags start looking like hot pink flags. Yeah. So you end up staying with the person that you're not meant to be. And you have the excuse of that intimacy physically. So it blurs the line. Yeah. And a soul tie, for those of you who don't know what a soul tie is, it's when your souls, two souls become one. And that is the, that was the design for marriage. And that's what sex does. It binds the two souls together. And there's an illustration that I saw a pastor do once where it's like, it takes two sheets of paper and glues them together Mm. and then rips them apart. And it's obviously not a clean tear. Oh, that's good. And he tries to glue those that piece of paper to another piece of paper. And it's like you mm. lose a part of yourself when you bind yourself to a soul and detach it. Wow. Yeah. That's a really great imagery. For soul ties. For soul ties, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so saving yourself for your husband and your wife gosh, it is just so sweet because when you do find that person that you're meant to be with, your foundation is so strong and then the physical is just the cherry on top. And also it creates so much security. I know a lot of women out there, I could speak for myself when I was living in a secular life, in the worldly life of having that insecurity of, oh my gosh, is he going to cheat on me? Who is he talking to? Right? We have that fear and worry. Um, It could come up possibly. Now, saving it for marriage erases that worry. Living in purity creates security in that. I don't ever worry about what he's doing. Yeah. Because if you could have self-control, this is the best way to describe it. Your dating season is the training grounds for your marriage. That's where you put in the work to have a really awesome marriage. Marriage still takes work. It's different. Yes. The training grounds, though, so in this context, when you have self-control, saving it for marriage, for someone that you love, why would you go out and mess it up for somebody else, right? Like, you're going to have that same control and you're going to have that same self-control in the marriage that you had when you were dating. Exactly, because temptation i'm not married but i know this because i have married friends and i I, I, i'm a human it's like pretty obvious like yeah (laughs) temptation doesn't end when you when you get married and you start having sex Mm -hmm. like that's that's like temptation is multiplied at that point because the enemy wants to break up marriage yeah so like i love that you said that because if you can't control yourself with the person that you love and save it for marriage and mm-hmm. what's going to keep you from falling into temptation after that? Mm-hmm. And just the that's that's and it's the beauty of like God, God's design. Like he, we we think that God is putting these rules in place to limit us from having mm-hmm. a good time, but He knows us. He knows us, our psychology. He knows our minds, our hearts. He created them, so He knows the best okay. way for His design to operate, and He. he 
created sex and sex is a beautiful thing yeah. in the context of marriage. But I love yeah. that you brought up security. That's something yeah. that I that I don't think people talk about very often mm-hmm. is, is that security in the marriage mm-hmm. because you guys honored God. Mm-hmm. And that self-control. Yeah. That's one of the fruits of the spirit, self-control. Yeah. And I, I get a lot of questions, people dating, trying to do it God's way. We get a lot of questions and they're like, how do you do this? Like how it seems so hard. I, one of my love languages is physical touch. Me too. Yeah. And let me tell you, God is so powerful. He will change the desires of your heart. Because when we were like, okay, we're going to be obedient. We are all in, all in or nothing with our walk. My physical touch was one of my first love languages. When we made that decision, I took the test again. It was my last. He changes the desires of your heart. Wow. Then we got married, took it again, and it's back up. (laughs) So God God gave you grace in that season of dating to when you guys, when you guys, committed to being pure yes he gave you grace to not have that urge be as strong as it was before yeah that's that's amazing that's insane i, I like that's it might it might sound small but that's huge like yeah that god did that for you in that in that season of dating he protected us yeah and that's not to say we still were tempted that's the importance of creating those boundaries of knowing, okay, when things get heated, what are we going to do to protect ourselves? Yeah. So we didn't sleep in the same bed. If I ever slept over, it was in the living room while he was in his room. Separately. Anytime it, <laughs> it got heated, we would we would yell out Jesus. I love that. <laughs> I love that. But not not just Jesus, but we'd be ridiculous <sighs> about it. Like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. like singing it and just break that state because yeah you got to and we we're we're so silly gerald's that's, laughing <laughs> that's our marriage we're, we're ridiculous we still uh, do those kind of things <laughs> that's so that's 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 awesome just that's what they say right like leave room for jesus like <laughs> that's exactly what you guys did is yeah anytime but but that's that's so good that you talked about boundaries yeah um because it's like boundaries are like a wall, mm-hmm. right? It's like preparation. If you don't have a boundary around your house, you can't keep what you don't want from coming in to come in. Mm. If you don't have boundaries around your relationship, around your purity, how are you going to block the temptation from getting a hold of you? Mm-hmm. So it's like, don't be stupid and think that when you get to that point that you're just going to say no. Like, no, you have to set that boundary up front to be able to stick to your plan. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And another thing, um, revelation that I got to with the boundaries was we're creating this intimacy, Kevin and I. We're growing really close together. I love him so much. I don't want to slip and have a blurry boundary to cause someone that I love to sin mm. and walk in disobedience. So that boundary got even more solid. Yeah. 
because you just create such a deep intimacy with this person and you're protecting them at that point. And that's the thing that I tell a lot of people that ask us questions about purity is the right person, if you're truly walking this life of obedience and purity, you're, the right partner for you will protect it and respect your purity. Mm. They'll protect and respect it. So if they're not protecting it or respecting it, then find somebody else. There's that. Yeah. And maybe they are the one. Just not then. Just not the right time. Just not the right time. Because that's a total possibility. Like Kevin and I were not the right ones for each other in that season of depression for me. Right. I mean, it's part of our story. I, I truly believe that happened for a reason. And we minister to so many couples because of what we've been through. Um, God uses everything, right? Um, but maybe that person isn't mature yet and they got some maturing to do and it could be a yeah. friendship and, yeah. Yeah. Um, before we end, I really just feel strongly on my heart for you to pray for um, those who might be listening to this that are struggling with what you were struggling with, um, mm. you know, who have encountered... Um, sexual abuse um Mm -hmm. that are that are being tormented by that the lies that come along with that Mm -hmm. um would you just pray for anyone could be even a guy girl or guy but Mm -hmm. can you pray for them yeah of course heavenly father we thank you so much for this time we give this time to you um and we lift up anyone who has dealt with rape and sexual assault lord we we pray against and rebuke the spirit of rape in jesus name we pray god that you fill them with the holy spirit that you fill them with joy any spirit of depression that has caused that has been caused by this lord we pray that you fill them with your joy we pray god that you wash them clean you wash them clean unbind and break the chains that are holding them down and bearing them down lord lift them up and have them feel light let them be light in your presence god we just pray against any demonic attack against them lord protect them send send angels on assignment to protect them god and just soften their heart open up their heart to seek you because you are the answer god you could heal all wounds for your stripes bring healing so we thank you jesus for what you did on the cross We pray that you just come meet them where they're at in a radical way, God. Give them a big, big warm hug, Mm. the Holy Spirit comforter. God, we just praise you. We praise you. We praise you. So we lift them up, God. We pray um, that you guide and light up their steps to move forward, to have them walk into their destiny and erase the past, erase the trauma, Lord. We pray that you heal any trauma in their soul, that you knit it up, Lord. Come present in their lives. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank Thank you you for having me. Yeah, it was uh, really special. I appreciate your vulnerability and um, just sharing everything. I'm just so excited to see what God does with it and how God uses it. So definitely have to have you back on. And I know there's so much more to talk about, but yeah. um, Yeah. 
Thanks. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Walk. 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 I walk.